2: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Did you watch any of the convention? How's that going for you as far as comfort levels and thoughts on who the next president's going to be? Are you starting to wake up to who you think it is going to be? Wall Street will get closer and closer to the November elections, and... You'll see some small shifts in bats between now and then, um, although I think I saw some numbers that said Hillary's at about a 75% chance for winning, um, and somehow that was tied towards the free throw. <laughs> you have the same chance of hitting a free throw, which I don't know about you, but I can't <laughs> hit 75% of my free throw. I'm kind of more of a hack-a-shack kind of guy. Anyway, off topic way, 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 way already. Um, Strong earnings, good earnings on Microsoft, Morton Stanley, Abbott Labs, Halliburton. Um, Earnings season, I'm not gonna say it's, it's robust, it's the best thing ever, but it hasn't, it definitely hasn't disappointed. So we're working with that. All markets opened higher on the earnings that we're seeing. There were some other companies that reported and topped expectations, but the ones that I named, Microsoft, Morgan, Stanley, Abbott Labs, and Halliburton, they're really, they represent a lot of things, you know, software, banking, pharmaceuticals, and oil. And it reflects the broad reach of the companies, you know, who are hurtling over those low expectations that we've set, under-promise and over-deliver. Now, you know, not every company is going to be great, Um Microsoft up about 5%. And I saw, uh, I read some of the research that came out on Microsoft last night. I know you're saying, ooh, fun. And this one was tied towards, uh, it was a nice research piece tied towards Bing and how well Bing's doing. And at one point in time, Microsoft was left for, you know, kind of joke land when it came to competing with Google and Yahoo for search. And Bing's done pretty well. It's my favorite uh, search engine for sure. Uh, use it numerous times a day. Google's too static for me. Uh, but I'm not here to talk about me. So we're talking about oil, $44.14 a barrel. The API, American Petroleum Institute, reported a 2.3 million barrel drawdown. So um, kind of consuming some of the oil that's out there meaning when we consume oil, you kind of have economic activity going on. There was a a story this morning on my television station tied towards um, a road that's opening up. And it's been years in the making, and it's tied towards one of the biggest bottlenecks in the Bay Area. And it talked about inside the story about how the average person who uses this, this road to commute will get about 60 hours of their life back in a year. And that's one of the reasons I'm a big, big fan of infrastructure improvements by presidents because it's one thing where we get to put people to work, but we also get the benefits of the economy and we get to lose some of the negatives of lost productivity. So what else is out there at this point in time? You have to think the market's short-term overbought. July has been a very, very good month. So at some point in time, we should probably give up... uh, a good rough, you know, chunk back. So the strength in the dollar is acting as a headwind for oil and other dollar-denominated commodities, and it's evoking concerns that it'll be a negative for earnings and export growth in the second half of the year, should it persist. Thoughts of new stimulus, short covering, relative valuation, performance chasing by underinvested money managers, extremely negative sentiment which is considered a contrarian indicator. If You get enough people negative and enough people in cash. So well they eventually you can't be more negative than super negative, you can't be more cash than all cash. And you essentially sometimes have to put that back to work. So a lot of narrative, like I said, you know, n- new stimulus coming, short covering, relative valuation, performance chasing, uh, the Fed staying lower longer, so a lot of people have expectations for a stronger second a half of the year. So, and these are all, you know, phrases to use in market summaries and trying to figure out what's going to happen next. There isn't any key economic data on which to focus this morning, so the focus today is going to be on the market's behavior itself. Can Microsoft's earnings news ignite another record leg higher? Uh, It is a big part of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Or will this be kind of, ah, it's built into that cake, so to speak. So the S&P 500 has had a big bounce, 9-plus percent, since it's June 27 low. The lifting gets heavier and the more challenging as we get further off those lows, as we get further higher, further away from them, I guess, is the right way of saying that. So that's something to again, start thinking about. So I'm going to be doing a seminar coming up and I'd love for you to come out. It's a great way to support me and the show. It's only $5 and wine and cheese is there. So it's essentially free, right? Uh, If you like wine or cheese or you want to bring your mouse from the house. So, um, Ten Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar in Burlingame, July 28th, 6.30 to 9. CFP, Chad and myself, and Michelle Lerman. Uh, you get access to three pretty good experts. Uh, you get your questions answered. You get to learn a lot about what retirement's going to look like or not look like. Um, Social Security benefits, outliving your savings, low interest rate environment investing, uh, where to draw from your assets. So... You can sign up at robblackshow.com. That's com. The producer of House of Cards recently said something kind of interesting. Um, he produced the movie Social Network, Captain Phillips, Fifty Shades of Grey, and House of Cards. Um, he said something, came on, I guess, CNBC, and he said, you know, I, I like CBS right now. Um even though there's a lot of craziness with what's going on with Viacom and everyone else. Um, He went on to say, you know, companies like Facebook and Google are competitors now as they blaze new paths. Um, He talked a little bit about Netflix. He said, even though he produces a show for Netflix, he was short Netflix. He believes that the market for streaming platforms is really going to get crowded. While he thinks there is some room to make some money, Netflix is getting a bit overvalued. And I'm also talking about people that I work with, so i got to be careful, he says. Netflix dates back to 2013 when his relationship with him started um, with House of Cards. So uh, Netflix has renewed House of Cards for a fifth season. Uh, he's, at this point, he doesn't have an end in mind for the series, but he admitted the show would be significantly different had his team decided to go the network television route. But he was right, and he came out on record and said that he would short the stock weeks ago. Now, Netflix probably starts getting incredibly cheap, around $60 a share. Does it get there? No one knows. Um, It gets incredibly expensive, around $100 a share. So it's something for you to watch and put on a shopping list as maybe like the craziest stock you're thinking about. You can find me at Rob Black Show. Don't forget to get that seminar coming up, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday in Burlingame. You can sign up for it at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.
1: 516 1220. That's 800 516 1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob
2: Black talking money investing and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we'll talk about. Big event coming up Thursday evening. I'll we'll be talking about currently going through refi. It's not a refi from hell, but honestly, it seems like every mortgage process is different. I'll talk a little bit about that for sure. I'll talk about dividend stocks. I'll talk about income and retirement, what I'm going to be planning on. And uh, CFP Chad has got a whole presentation to run through. It's good stuff. Um, seriously, if you don't come away with like two or three big chunks of knowledge, I, I'm surprised. Um, a lot of Americans now, though, are making a huge mistake, and they're preferring stocks. No, no. They're preferring cash stocks as long-term places to keep money, 10 years plus. They think the zero risk, zero return mentality is right. And inflation average is two to 4% a year. So in 10 years, that buying power of that cash will be much lower. And it's surprising that that many Americans want to hide in cash. Um, Returns on cash investments often trail the rate of inflation with savers losing buying power as a result, obviously. Um, Cash investments are totally inappropriate for long-term time horizons. And, again, it just shows you that a lot of Americans are stupid. We bought pet rocks in the 1970s, so be cautious looking at conventional wisdom ever from Americans. Let's bring in Tony Mendez talk a little real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining us today, Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's my personal mortgage lender. He's done a couple refis for me, a couple purchases as well. on top of that, he could do home equity lines of credit, and he's a mortgage lender. Tony, let's talk about arms, and I'm not talking about the things with fingers at the end. I'm talking about adjustable-rate mortgages. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a lot of people into trouble because they are buying too much house in the 2000s, and they were using adjustable-rate mortgages to get the lowest right. possible mortgage rate. So they kind of have a bad name.
3: So yeah, they still it, have that name. And unfortunately, the bad loan the Negam loan or negative amortization loan was tied to ARMS. Okay. And that's why ARMS got a bad rap. ARMS have a great use in the, in the market, primarily because they have a shorter or a lower interest rate than a 30 year fixed. And you can almost conform that to the time frame that you're going to stay in the property. Uh, a lot of investors use them as well because it can improve their cash flow. So there's a great use for ARMS, but it's not for everybody. Um, we did get that bad rap over the last few years, um, starting in 2007 you know, kind of 2008, and it scared a lot of people away. We Arm usage in the Bay Area dropped below 5%. Okay. Historically in the Bay Area, it's as high as 40%. Right now, we're sitting about 19%. So it is creeping back up, um, and we're also seeing rates rising on the 30-year fix. So people are going to start gravitating towards the arm. Um, but before you do, make sure it fits what you need. Now what's that mean? It it means it. it, Is it going to fit your timeline? Are you aware of the risks involved? Do you even know how an arm works? Uh, Do you know what the index is? Do you know what the margin is? Okay, well now, yeah. So there's all so many things. Let's
2: start with the time. Adjustable rate mortgage comes in terms: three three years, one year, three year,
3: five year, seven year, ten year terms. Okay. Um, And based on what's going on in the bond market and the treasuries will determine whether or not the five-year might be priced better than seven. But no matter what, it's got to fit your time frame because if you stay in your house longer than that fixed term, you're going to risk that rate becoming what they call fully adjustable. And it'll adjust to the index that the arm is tied to or the rate is tied to, which is the margin and the index combined together. So, you could be tied to an index that's fluctuating dramatically by the time you become adjustable and your rate drop uh, increase significantly, which okay. would raise your your and your mortgage payment goes up
2: so if you're a facebook engineer, if you're a engineer and like you're twenty something there's a good chance like you may want to go to New York in ten years you may like an arm might be appropriate if you right. think you're going to be kind of a traveling cowboy right and take your business elsewhere.
3: Yeah, and and for those people who are going, oh, arms are. We're not promoting arms. We're promoting arms as a um, as an alternative to the thirty-year fix to help you save money. Yep. We've run scenarios, and I know that you know this person personally, where they saved twenty-five thousand dollars over a five-year period because they decided to take an ARM instead, and they were getting a large inheritance where they're going to pay off the house and and stay in the house. So there are other scenarios in which case this will use um, it, 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 the best use. But yeah, for the example of the person that's going to be moving, or a person that's young, they they say, you know, this is my starter home. I'm going to sell it, build some equity. Why would you get a 30-year fixed at a rate that's one percent higher? You're you're paying on a $400,000 loan. That's that's almost $3,000 a year more. Why would you pay $3,000 a year more when you know you're going to be selling your house before this loan becomes uh, adjustable? I think so the, the easiest example of this is 30-somethings who are just getting married before they have kids.
2: They should probably get a seven-year arm if they think as a couple we're trying to have kids, we're actively going to make babies, um, and we're going to need a bigger home down the road, we're going to have to sell this home. An ARM, a seven-year arm is yeah.
3: perfect for them. Yeah, and it, and again, it, it's difficult to hear actually hear you saying this because you've been pretty conservative as far as what you advise people to do or, or suggest people to do. 30-year fix was great when it was at 3.5%. It's great when it's 4%. It's great when it's 45 but as rates go up, you're just going to start seeing the arms are the only way that you can get a rate that's uh, uh, and payment that's going to be manageable. How much, lower, a, how much lower can someone pay? I know a
2: 15-year mortgage is a lower rate than a 30-year mortgage. Right. Because the bank's going to get their money sooner. Right. Is the basic idea. And they can t- track it to the 10-year treasury versus the 30 years, Right. Um, and they don't have to adjust as much for inflation in the way they're getting their money back. We've got about a minute left. How much lower can people expect a seven-year and a five-year adjustable rate mortgage to be in this current market? About three-quarters three, three quarters of a percent. Okay, so like a, maybe a four percent would be down to three and a quarter. If a 30-year is at four percent, you're talking about an RMB
3: and a three-quarter? It, a it, it depa- also depends on the, the length of the term in, and what's pricing better, and that's something that you just have to sit down with your and look at your credit score, look at the equity and see what works. You have to run the same scenario. It's not always going to work for everybody, but it can work for some people. Um, Again, the the basic rule is when rates are low, you get the the longest fixed term you can, usually 30-year, and arms when rates are going up.
2: It's obviously a complex scenario. You do need to talk with a mortgage lender. You do need to run scenarios. If they're not running scenarios for you, they should. You can find Tony at bayarealonesource.com. It's bayarealonesource.com. So I want you to invest in diabetes. Why? Because obviously Americans are fat and overweight. But more than that, customers at Krispy Kreme have just found out that you can now drink a donut. Say what? Donut-flavored soda. Krispy Kreme has partnered with a um, soft drink bottler to create a donut-flavored cream soda. Um, Distinctive cherry flavor comes with the perfect hint of Krispy Kreme's original glazed flavor thirsty customers in North Carolina, South Carolina, parts of Georgia can pick up bottles of Krispy Kreme soda, uh, either at Krispy Kreme or convenience stores. Mm. Um, Right now, if you don't live in one of those three states, you're stuck with just donuts for now, but maybe we'll learn how to make our own. Um, Why just eat a donut when you can drink one? Product. If you think things are going to be the same as they are now in 30 years, you're crazy. Learn more about retirement issues. I'm going to talk about Income and Retirement Thursday night in Burlingame, 6 30 to 9, with CFP Chad Burke. You can sign up for the event on the 28th, a couple Thursdays away from now, at newfocusfinancial.com.
1: Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, I have a question for you. Many years ago when I was a young man in my 20s, I was watching the Super Bowl and Gillette ads would come on and it was like this Super Razor that had incredible lighting and it would turn around in 360s and three razors and then four razors and it conforms to your face. And I was like, Ooh. Went out and bought it. It was like a ten dollar razor and pretty cool, right? Good shave. Then it then twenty years later, out comes the Dollar Shave Club. Um, and they're now selling razors for a dollar. And I'm like, I, who wants that? I want a cool razor. But when I talk to people, people under thirty five want it. So in one chunk of time, product changed aggressively. Um, stay with me for a second. That dollar shave couple just got bought for a billion dollars by Unilever today. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you see product changing in your world and it surprises you and it, it's tough to sell or it's tough to show people, look, we're not doing it like mom and dad did. We're not doing it like you did 20 years ago. This is, this is a better way of doing it. Cause I, I know a lot of things have changed just from working with you and some of them are subtle, but some of them are pretty
4: dramatic. Yeah, oh, I'd say it's very dramatic and it seems to be, you know, anything cycles and everything seems to be on like a seven to 10 year cycle. Uh, When I first got into the business, you know, I fell in love with it in, um, you know, I was 19 years old, but I was also kind of in that generation that didn't like sales people, I, I, you know, dealing with cheesy one liners from somebody that's trying to sell you something. You're always wondering what the heck is, you know, the ulterior motive here. So, um, I transitioned into a fee-only practice. My website back then was feeplanning. dot com, as I was trying to be a pioneer in that area. And I remember once I, you know, was sitting there. I bought the URL, I was writing out my business plan. And I remember the uh, CEO Merrill Lynch at the time on uh, saying, "Oh, we'll never do fee-based planning because it was just starting to, to come out. People were tired of paying big brokerage fees, you know, two percent to buy a stock." And, you know, here we are now, and that's all the rage, and even Tony Robbins has got into the world of um, fee-only financial planning and using the term fiduciary, and he's even trying to capitalize on, you know, a wave that I've been dealing with and got into 20-plus years ago. Um, Back before, uh, you know, people, if they wanted to buy stocks, they had to go through a a broker-dealer. They had to pay 2% to get into a stock. And then you had online brokerage firms. And then you had kind of Vanguard pioneering index funds and passive investing. And even that passive investing approach has now been replaced by robo advisors, which is really the um, replacement for people that used to index on their own. So technology is really what's changed our industry and allowed people allowed us to give people a very digital experience mm-hmm. um, and a constant view of their financial plan and organization. Um, and it's helped keep fees down so there's been some fee compression. Um, I mean, you know, we most ETFs you can buy for free. You don't have to pay a commission to get into them. And most stocks are $7.95 a trade versus 2% to get in way back in the day. So it's changed a lot for sure and for the better. It's better for the consumer for sure.
2: Let's uh, change topics and move into income and retirement planning. It's big seminar coming up on July 3rd, 28th, which is a Thursday. Right around the corner, people could sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Lots of good downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. What are some of the hot retirement topics that you know the media seems to be talking about this year?
4: Well, I keep seeing these qualified lifetime annuity contracts um, being talked about, and you know, we got some worthless law passed um, some back, um, you know, in 2014. I think it was implemented in 2015 where people can use their 401K funds to buy an annuity contract, which basically you buy it now. It's a longevity contract, so it kicks in when you're like 80-plus years old, and it'll pay you a pretty decent income for the rest of your life. And by the way, if you live a long time, you've got some guaranteed income in the future. The problem is, Rob, is that insurance companies are struggling so bad right now. So to give an insurance company money, that you're going to give them and expect them to pay you back in 25 years from now or 20 years from now even, and no control over whether or not you can access your money until you're 85 years old, I think is a silly idea. I would never do that. Now, if, it's, okay. if if, it's, I mean, they would turn out if, you're, if you don't care about where your money goes after you pass away and you're really concerned about longevity, you're single. The rate of return is fairly decent. It's around 6% from the ones that I've looked at. But what if that insurance company isn't around? What if they can't? I mean, insurance companies take your money and they go buy safe bonds. And we all know what bonds are paying. Well, under 3% for shorter term, shorter duration, safe bonds. So that's, the you know, whether or not I've even seen anybody, I haven't seen anybody buy these inside their 401k. So it's kind of, you know, he comes and goes. Social Security is a big one. That's The file and suspend strategy was ended in April of this year. The Department of Labor rule is the biggest topic right now because the attempt of that rule is to stop uh, these commission-based advisors that really aren't advisors—they're just salesmen—that are getting people to roll money out of their 401ks into these huge, high-fee, horrible products. So the Department of Labor rule is attacking that and trying to attack 401ks with high fees. Um, I already mentioned Tony Robbins bringing up the world of uh, the fiduciary, making sure you're working with a fiduciary, which is. An advisor that puts your interest before theirs, um, and a couple other ones. Split 401ks, where if you have after-tax dollars in a 401k, you can now roll that into a Roth and roll the pre-tax stuff into a regular IRA. It's, it's one distribution, so that's pretty cool. Um, and a couple of other ones. Um, passive investing is all the rage again, just like it was in 2006. It's just all index investing. And then I would say also using IRA trusts um, for creditor protection for heirs because. In the past, um, people could leave their IRA to their son or daughter. They could go into an inherited IRA and thought it would be protected like other retirement accounts, but it's not anymore. So if your son or daughter is sued, um, bankruptcy or whatever, those can be taken. So now people are creating trusts, specific IRA trusts, to leave IRA assets to their heirs to birth. Very,
2: very cool. Um, one of the areas when it comes to retirement planning that is kind of confusing is the details. And what I mean by that is, you know, I could look at my 401k, and there's probably 20 funds to choose from, of which it's not painfully obvious what the fees are. It would be nice if one of the columns said, you know, all the fees added up total, blah, 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 right here, 2.2% or 1.1% or 0.7%. Mm-hmm. What should people do if they do that research, and most people won't, but if they do that research and find that their fees are too high? Right. And what is it too okay.
4: high of a fee? I'd say the majority of the fees out there are too high in 401Ks, especially if people, you know, they started a small company, they wanted to get a 401K, but they had, you know, under a million dollars in total plan assets, they usually end up with an insurance company that's got this group annuity with a huge wrapper of fees all around it. Where now you can go to, you know, companies like TD Ameritrade through advisors and get um it, basically the employees can pay only just the cost of the underlying fund and pass the small cost of accounting and everything else on to the employer, so it's very transparent. Um, but most foreign Ks aren't like that, Rob. So I mean I'm, i have seen plans where the underlying fees are one and a half, two percent over and above the the cost of the high cost mutual fund that they're in inside of it. So if if people are in that situation, once they hit fifty nine and a half, they have the ability to do an in service rollover and roll money out of their 401k into an IRA and still remain at the employer. Um, it's called an in service IRA rollover. And that's allows you to either go, you know, invest the money on your own or hire a fee only, you know, fiduciary based certified financial planner to help you with that 401k to get the get the assets, the money moving in the right direction. Good stuff. Um and again it's
2: it's not the easiest to get your hands on that data. Um, And make it even make sense, if that makes, you know, that's a sellable point to you. Um, We've got a couple of minutes. I would say ask
4: HR. You know, ask for a clear report on fees. They're supposed to actually send that out every year now. That's one of the new law requirements. That's good to know.
2: Now, QLACs, are they worth looking at for the average individual investor who has a lot going on in their life?
4: No, yes, yeah, I, I just don't think so. I think that again, qualified, qualified lifetime annuity contracts. Um, and again, here's here's kind of the benefit of it. So if you buy it in your 401k, let's say you put a hundred thousand dollars into it inside your 401k. Now, when you hit seventy and a half, a hundred thousand dollars. The good thing is it's not subject to required minimum distribution. So that's one of the benefits. You can leave it in there. You're not forced to take it, money out based on how much you have in that contract. And if you live to a ripe old age, 80 plus, the income kicks in. So there's no access to principal. It's only access to income if you live to a certain age. And and then the income that it kicks out to is pretty high. And if you live to like 105, the rate of return would actually be pretty decent in the 6% plus range. But again, I mean, we're at historically low interest rates. I just can't, I can't write a check to an insurance company and say, okay, I'm willing to wait 20 years for you to pay me money back. It's just it's lifetime fixed annuities, um, QLACs. I just I wouldn't do it unless you're single, and your only major concern is living past age 90. Um, so the we've average got person, about 45. I would say no
2: problem. We've got about 45 seconds. It's a good segment. Is there anything else you want to say or talk about? Maybe even plug the seminar coming up on Thursday, the 28th.
4: Yeah, in the seminar, you know, we talked about the 401k and the split rollover. A lot of people retire. They don't realize that they have after-tax contributions from way back when in their 401k, and that can be rolled into a Roth now. So people retire with Roth assets, which are tax-free, 401ks, which are 100% taxable, and then cash and stock and funds outside of their account. So we really talk about how you blend that income to make sure that your income bracket is low across your entire retirement lifespan. Um, gotcha. You really got to listen to CFP Chad Burton,
2: idea. you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. A big event coming up Thursday, the 28th, 630 to 9. Sign up at newfocusfinancial.com.
1: rob black now 800-516-1220 that's 800-516-1220 now back to rob black and your money on am 1220 kdow
2: I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. I think Twitter and Facebook... No, no, not Facebook. Excuse me. That would be a a major mistake. I think Twitter and Netflix are both setting themselves up to be acquired in 2017. Clearly Twitter. Likely netflix if they can't turn things around they had a quarter that showed a lot of problems
1: and they had a high
2: valuation so companies a couple of years ago got mad not companies but people got kind of mad at apple because they could have bought netflix when it was really really cheap well in the last year it's become cheaper it's still not as cheap as anyone would want uh to say oh let's rush in and get it but another bad quarter and they could break the stock down and if the stock breaks down i would look for someone like apple to potentially say you know what now's our time to make a move on this one doesn't mean that it'll happen but um apple has toyed with the idea of getting into television and it hasn't um And, you know, I think the perfect scenario in most people's mind would be that Apple would buy them because Apple has so much cash and just say, okay, you guys keep doing what you're doing. Uh, We'll check back on you every couple quarters. Uh, Maybe they could take out, you know, some costs. Maybe they can, you know, help in some areas. But I think a lot of people think that would be an interesting idea, to say the least. Pokemon Go has a McDonald's partnership in Japan. And now the pieces are starting to make sense for some people. Big uh, in the game, you have to go to gyms to fight or catch animals or something like that. Battle locations. Um, and typically they're done, you know, at parks or uh, landmarks. But somewhere like a McDonald's makes a lot of sense for McDonald's. Getting people in their stores. Now, it may not be quite as fun as that sounds, but uh, I think McDonald's would be loving it. And for some reason, I, I don't know the logistics, I'm just not that smart, but Pokemon Go was delayed in Japan until I think tomorrow. It was supposed to start today or yesterday. And at the last second, they get this McDonald's sponsorships, so they don't want it to fail, so they got to beef up servers and everything. So, Twitter is going to finally let you apply to be verified. You're going to have to put up a bio, an email, a verified phone number, and you still don't know how long it's going to take, but it's moving in that direction. Donald Trump is losing valuations tied towards his properties. Um, They're going down in value, and people don't really want to tell people that they live in a Trump Tower, so that's interesting, right? So the student debt controversy, a lot of people look at student debt and say, this is going to bring America down. And I think there's always two sides of every story. And I think there's a lot of gray in between. And the White House just came out with a big report on student debt that contained some, you know, horror stories uh, tied towards people who are incredibly indebted and they drop out. Students defaulted on their loans. Uh, $1.3 trillion in student debt is helping, not hurting the U.S. economy. Like, what? The conclusion that it's helping will piss off a lot of student debt advocates, people like Bernie Sanders um, and special interest groups, from real estate agents to employers who can do tax breaks for their young workers. They argue that student debt is a big drag on the economy. But the report from the White House, Council of Economic Advisors, backs up its claim with numerous charts and studies. And what happens is when there's a tough economy, kids go back to school and they get their master's. They go back and get higher degrees. The surge in student debt has happened primarily on President Barack Obama's watch, though it began several years earlier. Uh, since early 2009, when Mr. Obama took office, student debt has nearly doubled to about $1.3 trillion. The uptick owes a lot to the sorry state of the economy, of course during high unemployment, enrollment in college and graduate school typically rises. Um, That's because, you know, for workers, the so-called opportunity cost of going to school, the wages they lose from not working is lower, and then they get that higher degree. And in a better economy, they're more trained so they get higher-paying jobs. Interesting, right? Can you play that argument with yourself or do you still think student debt's killing us? Or is it just the student debt tied towards things like... um, you know, poetry majors. So CFP, Chad Burke, and myself are going to be doing the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar at the Doubletree by Hilton a couple Thursdays from now, 28th, uh, 630 to 9. You know, retirement's really complicated. My biggest fear is running out of money before I retire, uh, before I die. I don't want that. Um, Michelle Lerman will be there talking a little estate planning. I think it's pretty important. In the last few years, my wealth has increased, and, you know, how I want to pass that on uh, and mistakes that people make. You don't want to make a mistake that costs your heirs millions of dollars. So which account do you draw from first retirement? I've got a 401K. I've got a cash account. I've got stocks in a regular account, taxable account. I've got a little bit in an IRA. Uh, Not enough, but it's there. So those kind of questions are things that we're going to be going over. So we're going to be looking at bonds and outliving your savings and different types of annuity products. Most of them are bad, and most of them are sold by bad people who are trying to get big commissions, so be cautious on that. Anyway, anyhow, you can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. You can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Thanks for listening to the show. Take a break. We'll be right back.